I get it. You want numbers. <laughs> hey, everybody. It is the Q&A episode of Fan Funded. You have asked me things about Facebook ads. You've asked me things like, how many people do I need on my mailing list? And guess what? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you the answer to all these questions. So let's get into it. Hello and welcome to Fan Funded with Laser. I am Laser. The goal of this podcast is to help you build an audience full of true fans who are excited to actually support your music and creation. Today's a special Q&A episode. My guest is me. It's just me today. And I've asked you every episode to send me some questions. You have. So let's let's do it. Let's answer some questions. I'm so excited to get you the information you're actually looking for. Corey, who makes games, it looks like, at witchborn.com, sent in a couple questions. This is the first one. Marketing is a ton of work, and I find myself constantly spending more time here than being creative. How do you divide time between marketing and creating your own art? Corey, I love your question, Corey, because I agree. Since the very beginning of my band, I have not wanted to spend time marketing because it feels like you're just out there begging people to pay attention to you or like trying to fit into an algorithm or trying to fit into some sort of system, throwing things against the wall. It's a whole bunch of flailing. It's a whole bunch of running on a treadmill. (laughs) Um, and, And it doesn't feel like you're getting anywhere. So the answer to how do you define time between marketing and creating your own art? Well, the answer is kind of like I don't. So I make a plan, I make art, and then I post that art online. In an ideal world, especially in an audience building phase, the content you should be posting, the creations you should be posting on the internet, like social media wise, are themselves part of your artistic process. Now, this doesn't mean they have to be final versions, obviously not. And and they're not the thing, especially in your case, you're, you're selling games like you can't post a full board game on on Instagram. That's not how it works. But what do you do when you're creating your games? What are you doing? Are you designing mechanics? Can you write about how you design board game mechanics? Are you sketching out uh, ideas for your board? Can you post a time lapse of you sketching out your board? Are you uh, painting minis? for your games? Are you playing games? Could you make that into content? Could you talk about strategies for games? There are all kinds of things that you're doing already that you could be using as content, as creations on your social media platforms. And how do you minimize the amount of time that you're spending on social media, you're spending in marketing? Well, I think you you, you just need to plan ahead. Peter, in uh, the episode that Peter was a guest on, talked a little bit about this, and I would encourage you to go back to listen to that one. If you are able to make a plan of, let's say, every week, I'm going to post something on Wednesday. Maybe it's some sort of process image. It's some sort of a picture of a character from my game with their bio. It's a 20-second video of a song or a 20-second video of a a, a process video of art schedule those ahead of time. Don't actually go into Instagram, go into Facebook 
Because when you go ahead and post those things, then you're going to be like thinking about how many likes it gets. You're going to be caring. You're going to be following up. If you can schedule it ahead of time, if you can make a plan and just follow through and make a kind of a strategic strike, then you're going to spend a lot less time marketing. It's just going to be something that you can kind of do as a task, check it off, and then go off into your own world. Maybe you check in on social media on a time that is limited and that is not during a productive, creative period of your day. That's ideal. And then you don't have to turn all of your energy into marketing. I mean, like, this is obviously all in the ideal world. But I think the fi- my, my main takeaway here, Corey, is people don't want to read marketing content. They want to see art. So post your process. Post how you're making your game. The most successful creators I know are people who share creation not those who have a really excellent marketing strategy. So just start posting about the stuff that you want to be doing and just keep doing the things that you want to be doing. Keep making art and open the door to your studio while you do it. Next question, also from Corey. How big is your mailing list? How many fans do we need? Boy, this is a big question, Corey. How big is my mailing list? The answer to that is for the double clicks, 10,000. I talk about this a little bit in other episodes. And for laser campaigns, which is this podcast is a part of that part of my brain, about 500 people. How many fans do you need? Well, gosh, it sure depends. But um, I'm going to give you a calculator, a, a little math problem right now that I use and it is an extremely, extremely, extremely simplified version of a custom spreadsheet that I've put together for people in my programs. So basically, the deal is this. Your pool of fans and followers are all kinds of people. There are people in the shallow end who are very casual. There are people in the deep end who love you and want to get everything that you do. All of those people count whether they're on your mailing list or your Twitter followers or whatever. So those are your, let's call those your fans. You can call them your audience or whatever. That pool needs to be a specific size before you launch your project because not everybody in that pool is going to back your project, which is why I have a little formula for this. It's not going to be every single person who's ever heard of you is going to give you $100 for your game or whatever. In order to know how many people you need in that pool... You need to know how much money you want to raise <laughs> and, you know, that that will really depend on your project, right? Um, how much it costs to make your thing. That's a whole different thing. But let's let's call that amount, you know, X for music. And this changes a lot for whatever your product is. And that's why this is kind of a complicated a spreadsheet when you work with me. But I'll give you the simple version for most art including music, you take the amount of money you want to raise, amount X, maybe it's $10,000, could be $1,000, could be uh, $100,000, divide it by $35. Because the average donation on projects like that is about $35. That's how many backers you need. So if you need to raise $3,500, and you divide that by $35, (laughs) you need 100 people to back your project. Woohoo! Okay. Now, how many people do you need on your mailing list in order to get 100 backers? I would say multiply that number by five. 
Okay, so that would be 500 people on your mailing list in order to raise $3,500. You take the amount of money you want to raise, you divide that by 35. That's the number of backers you need. You multiply the number of backers times five, and that's the number of people you need on your mailing list. Now, that's like not a definite number. That's just because you asked how many fans do we need as like as if there's an answer to that question. But that's the very basic, very beginning of the answer to that question. It depends on what kind of game you're launching, what kind of thing. Is it a game? Is it an album? It depends on how engaged your fans in, how deep that pool is like I was talking about. Is it like everybody in the shallow end? Then you're probably going to need more fans. Is everybody really deep in there? Then maybe it's going to be fewer fans. It super depends. And if it's if it's something like a really intense board game where the average backer amount is actually going to be like $150, then it's a whole it's a whole different ballgame. But that's the beginning of the math that I do. Hopefully that helps, Corey. Thank you so much, everybody. Check out Corey at witchborn.com. Next question. Michael L. Overton asks, can you crowdfund vinyl without a large email list just being found on Kickstarter and maybe adding Facebook Instagram ads? So this is a good question, Michael. And my answer to you mostly is no. (laughs) What you're talking about is, can I just launch a project on Kickstarter to a cold audience? to strangers, to straight up strangers? And the answer is no. You need to have, in order for a project on Kickstarter to be appealing to strangers, it needs to basically already be successful. You need to have a base of people who are already your fans back the project and fund it to to demonstrate that you are a legitimate person who has done the work to earn people's hard-earned money. That's not, this is, it is not really how Kickstarter works. Even for things like products, although slightly to a lesser extent for things like products, like like if you're launching the greatest cooler of all time or the greatest wallet of all time, whatever, those companies still have mailing lists that they have been warming up for a long time <laughs> with strategies and stuff. So they're not launching Kickstarter to absolute crickets. They're launching a Kickstarter with a pre-prepared list of people who are ready to back on day one. And when you're talking about music... I I find it very rare that somebody wants to have their first interaction with a musician, so like a vinyl project, like you're talking about here, Michael. It's very rare that people's first interaction with music is going to be spending money on it. Usually it's going to be hearing a song and then listening to an album or watching some videos, then maybe getting to know a little bit about that artist and caring about them, and then spending money on music. So your best investment, I would think, instead of figuring out the Facebook ads algorithm, your best investment would be spending some time sharing your art on the internet. Like I was telling Corey, share some 20-second videos of you playing music, warm up your audience, do some collaboration. There's a lot of a lot of steps. But I would say, in answer to your question, can you crowdfund vinyl without a large email list? Just being found on Kickstarter, maybe adding Facebook, Instagram ads is no. Could you do it with a small email list? Absolutely. Could, I mean, if, if you could you do it just with your native, your fans? Yes, absolutely. Like you don't need to have a huge email list. It just needs to be big enough for the budget that you're going for. Hope that helps. My next question is from Teos, friend of the family. Teos asks, do Facebook ads work and are they necessary? 
Heyos, great question. Do Facebook's ad work? Like I was just telling <laughs> Michael, which is why I put your questions back to back. Facebook ads work in very specific circumstances. So I've had a conversation with the folks over at Backerkit who run a very, very successful Facebook ads business specifically for Kickstarter. And yes, Facebook ads do work in certain circumstances on Kickstarter. They work when you can find the exact right audience of people who want this thing. And they work when the project has already funded and now you're in overfunding or stretch goals. They work when the project is something like a game or something more on the product-y end that people are pretty familiar with or something that has just like a very hook-like pitch, like the only wallet you'll ever need or Thirsty Sword Lesbians comes to mind is an RPG that's like, this is super easy to sell in an image and a click. And there is an audience for this, e.g., RPG customers, people who buy board games and tabletop games who just like to bat Kickstarters. So for games, which is the world I know that you're in, do Facebook ads work? Yes. It is a tricky thing to figure out. And there are services like I said, Backerkit, who will run those for you. If I were to go into the Facebook ads world seriously for a Kickstarter, I would probably partner with a company who specializes in this because it is finding the audience, doing the follow-up, figuring out the funnel. It just, it, it's a lot. For things like music, for things like personality-based projects, like a web series or a short film, for the most part, no. I would say Facebook ads absolutely don't work. And the people over at Backerkit back me up on this. They say if somebody comes to them with a project that's very arty, that's very personality-based, or that hasn't already met its goal or raised a lot of money, they usually say, no, we can't really help you with ads. It only works in very specific situations. So yeah, I hope that helps. Our next question is also from Teos. I see a lot of RPG Kickstarters, Teo says. An RPG is a role-playing game, by the way, if anybody here is not in the nerd world. I see a lot of RPG Kickstarters where a large part of the backers, like 40 to 50%, came through Kickstarter itself. Is there anything we can do to increase Kickstarter serving up our project to their audience? Oh, this is such a good question, Teos. Yes. So especially in the games world, which again is a huge proportion of Kickstarter's income, like it's a huge proportion of the Kickstarter world is games. There's a lot of discovery in between game projects, but let's, let's look at, let's drill down into what that means. I have brought up some stats here <laughs> from some projects that I've worked on in the games world that had a very high proportion of what Kickstarter calls Kickstarter discovery. So any backer money that they call originating from Kickstarter, it gets this tag and, and you get a little pie chart and it shows this big proportion in your question, 40 to 50% coming from Kickstarter. Let me read to you all of the things that go into that tag. So there's email, discovery tag, newest projects, advanced discovery. Ooh, there's an email, backers friends notified of their pledge, email, last chance to back reminder, search, profile, saved projects ending soon, push notifications, recommendations, discovery category, tabletop games discovery category, games page, uh, da -da 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 -da, a project's backer confirmation page, 
email, friends notified when your project launched. So let's go through some of these. So some of these are the emails that Kickstarter sends to people who have already backed Kickstarter projects. So if somebody is a backer, a frequent backer of Kickstarter projects, Kickstarter has stats on them and says, okay, if you back this project, I think you'll also like this project because people who like who backed that project have also backed this project. How do you do something about that? Well, you should back other people's projects and be friends with people who have backed other people's projects and see if you can join those communities, get those people interested in what you're doing before launching, get them on your email list and make get them ready to back your project on day one. Some of these are backers friends notified of their pledge, backers friends notified when the project launches. So you can make friends on Kickstarter. This used to be connected with Facebook, and I believe it it still is. This is the first thing I did before launching my Kickstarter. I spent a couple days just going into Kickstarter, finding all of the people I know, and friending them. So if you have not already done this, you should have a Kickstarter account, you should be backing projects, and you should be making friends. With all of the people you know, you should connect your Facebook and boop, 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 make friends with all those people because that means that when you launch a project, they're going to get a notification that you launched a project. When all of your friends back your project, their friends are going to get a notification that your project launched. So that is a big part of the Kickstarter recommendation engine. Okay. Then it comes to the stuff that I think you were asking about. (laughs) Um which actually is lower on this list than perhaps you might think, which are tags, discovery, and the Kickstarter emails and the project we love system. So some of this is automated. Some of this is a algorithm in the Kickstarter system. So newest projects, whatever is on the front page of the tabletop games or the music category, whatever that is, how do projects get there? The answer is... A couple things. Funding early is a big part of it. Momentum happens and for projects that look successful, right? So if you have a mailing list, if your project funds early, if your project has a lot of backers on day one, which just means it's successful elsewhere, then the chances are of it ballooning beyond that are pretty high. So get your, your motor running <laughs> early with your existing fan base, your existing friends. Send out a big email on your first day get people saving your pre-launch page, and that then you're more likely to be in the tags being discovered in the Kickstarter launch algorithms. The only thing really that is done by humans on Kickstarter in terms of what you can affect, Kickstarter serving up your project to the audience, are their emails and the project we love system. So Kickstarter sends out occasional emails to their list that like there's a games recommendation email that goes out to people who have backed Kickstarter games projects. There's a Kickstarter music newsletter that goes out. And then there's project we love, which is a special little button that your project can get. Those are done by the staff of Kickstarter. There's actually an article and I'll put that in the show notes that they've written that talks about how do you actually get those things. You can't submit for them. (laughs) But they're kind of the projects that get thrown in front of the eyes of the people at Kickstarter. Obviously, like a a somewhat unhelpful thing for me to say is that when I'm working with creators and they have a really cool project that I think my friends who work at Kickstarter 
would be interested in because it's innovative in some way, I send it over to them to them and say like, hey, this looks cool. Are you interested in that? Um, and they they will usually help out. So knowing people does help a little bit, but truly it can be kind of random as well. And by random, I mean strategically done in a relatively more democratic way. What they say in their article is that they really like a crisp project image with no logos, badges, or text on top, a clear and detailed description that includes a thorough plan for completing your project, captivating images or videos, an excited community, and they also decide based on what they think different users will be interested in, and of course, a lot of creativity. They like weird stuff. The newsletters are full of, and if you read their newsletters and look at the Project We Love pages, they're full of two things, really beautiful pictures, extremely, extremely successful projects, and then things that look like stuff you haven't done before. So I would just lean into whatever your makes your project unique, get a really good picture, make sure that the uniqueness is right in your title and right in your picture if at all possible. Don't put a bunch of text in your picture because they don't like that. Follow all the rules, fund early, and you will get yourself recommended on the Kickstarter engine. But up a da 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 now it's time for another question. This question is from Graham. My BFF Wade and I have been making music just for funsies since the early 90s. Love it. Our music is very much studio-based and not so much geared toward live performance. Okay, that's fine. We have several albums on Bandcamp and a Facebook page. I think Wade's a seriously talented musician-producer. Lovely, and I think I'm a decent writer-talker into a microphone, but I have no idea how to put our stuff in front of people who might like it. How do I find an audience for my weird niche thing? Asks Graham from the band Mayhem Lettuce, which is a delightful name. This is excellent. I, I hear you. Sometimes if you, you're like, well, I put my music up. It's on YouTube. It's on Bandcamp. Why is nobody finding it? And the answer is, it's kind of like you're playing in an empty room. You've booked the concert venue, but you haven't really invited anybody there. So you need to go out and invite people. And if you're not doing this in real life, then you need to go find places where people are congregated on the internet. And I think it's more fun to do that places where communities are gathering naturally around things that interest you. So I would challenge you and your friend Wade, Graham, to think about what is Mayhem Lettuce all about other than the music? Are you really deeply into lettuce? Are you really deeply into mayhem? Do you love the television show Castle? Are you into antique furniture? Are, do you have like a, a very specific snare drum? Do you have one song about Jane Austen? Whatever it is that encompasses, you know, wh wh whatever is in the umbrella of identity that is Graham and Wade, that is not just music. I want you to think about those things. And then I want you to go find where people congregate around those things. Is there a podcast about lettuce or about Jane Austen or about you know, the specific kind of snare drum that you like, or, you know, wh whatever vintage furniture, your city, maybe a Facebook group about your city. Is there a, a you know, a subreddit that's really into what, what do you, what I, I don't have any more examples about cats in space. I'm just looking about my room about horticulture. Like what are the things that you're into and that, that make you uniquely you that influence your music? Go find those things. Find where people congregate around those things 
and say, hey, because you like Jane Austen, I think you might like my band Mayhem Lettuce. Even better than just showing up and saying, hey, listen to my music, is showing up, becoming an active member of that community, and then figuring out like, hey, what kind of cupcakes can I bring to this party? I'll give you an example. I am a avid <laughs> Trek fan. I love Star Trek. And uh, I, w- when my band started, we were writing original songs and we're not very good at covers because I don't like learning other people's music because I am lazy. But at a certain point, I knew that there was a big community of people who love Star Trek. And I knew that I would like to be part of that community of people and that they would like our music. That If they found it, even if the songs that we were writing weren't about Star Trek, I knew that the kind of people who like Star Trek are my people. We wrote a song that was actually a cover of a poem from the show Star Trek called Ode to Spot. And we made a video for it in which we were wearing Star Trek uniforms. And then this video we shared onto like Star Trek subreddits and, 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 you know, tagged it with Star Trek related items and it got shared around the Star Trek related world. Now that's a pretty big community, I would say, Star Trek, but we did similar things with Portland and with, oh gosh, Battlestar Galactica, (laughs) with EVE Online, with technical writers like with just like weird things but also even when it wasn't the content of the music that we were writing but it was like sometimes we'd use a video and we'd put stuff in the video because we love going to this museum and so we'd we'd put that museum in the video or we'd put the local goats there's a local goat field near me in Portland like that kind of stuff that people are into this thing. And if people who are into this thing, I think they will be into us. Community collaboration are really, really good ways to grow your audience. So I would encourage you to figure out how you can find groups of people communing and figure out how to bring them cupcakes in the form of your unique talents. I hope that is helpful, Graham. I am very excited about your band name. Mayhem Lettuce is delightful. Another question. This one is from Mike. How do you make yourself pick and focus on a project that is feasible in the limited time that you have, despite having too many ideas? This is from Mike Contario on Twitter, michael.contario.co.uk on the web and my science comedy troupe at variablesshows.wordpress.com. Oh my gosh, you make amazing things. I can tell already. Pick and focus on a project that is feasible in the limited time that you have, despite having too many ideas. Mike. I'm going to be honest, this is a problem that I still have and everybody I've interviewed for the podcast and everybody I've ever met who's a creative person has. Everybody has this problem. And the answer really is that at a certain point, you just have to choose. Make one thing. And I think the way that I find that I I eventually have to pick is one, how am I going to make money? And two, by setting an external deadline, like I know I need to write 20 songs this year in order to make an album in order to feed my family. So for the next four months, I'm going to release a song on a podcast every week, or I'm going to release, I'm going to write a verse every week or breaking it down into manageable chunks, setting a reasonable goal that is not too big. And then when you get to the other side of that, you have something done. I think the biggest danger is being stuck in the development phase on 
a billion things forever and never getting to the the follow through on anything. The good news is once you complete something, you can do something new. And even if you can't have the follow through catch up with your taste quite yet on this project, that is okay. Making something is so much better than not making something. Perfection is the enemy of good. Perfection is the enemy of done. So make yourself pick because you have to. Here is an exercise that I tell my creators that I work with to do. I want you to write down all of the things that you could do and break them down into segments that you could release on a weekly basis, like a completed version of it, whether it's like instead of a finished animated film, it's like a sketch. Instead of a finished album quality version of a song, it's a 20 second, you know, song clip. Instead of a science comedy full length show, it's, you know, a little web comic or a little TikTok. Right. Write down a whole bunch of your ideas, right? And figure out what the like smallest, the minimal, minimum viable product version of that thing is. And then do one of those different things every week for four or five weeks. So say you have five ideas, do one different thing every week. And then at the end of those five weeks, figure out which one of those felt best and do that one. (laughs) And ideally that thing that you do, whether it's like comedy TikToks every week or little mini songs every week or whatever, is building up your work into a bigger product that both builds your audience and also builds the work that you need to do in order to have the big final product eventually. I hope that works, Mike. <laughs> I can't help you specifically if I don't know what all of your different brain brain firings are, but I, I hope that helps. It it helps my, my, my artists, so I hope it helps you. Everybody check out variablesshows.wordpress.com. That sounds really fun. I like my little songs. Our next question comes from Maria Victoria Sanchez. I run a small animation studio. We want to teach others how to make animation and also do commercial and creative work. We're preparing a crowdfunding campaign for an animated short film. As the director, what should I be doing three months away from the campaign? Ooh, ooh, ooh. This is from, like I said, Maria Victoria at Vicky Monkey on Instagram. So basically... The answer to this is you should be preparing your audience. <laughs> and I mean, on, on the flip side, before you launch your project, you're going to want to make sure you have your budget, you have your rewards, you have a realistic goal, you know how you're going to fulfill everything that you have, your marketing ready to launch. But three months ahead of time, I think the most important thing you could be doing is warming up and growing your audience. Your first contact with a potential audience for your crowdfunding campaign shouldn't be to ask them for money. You want the audience to be warm. You want them to be excited. You want them to know what your dream is and to have that be exciting to them, exciting enough that it's kind of their dream and they want to be part of it. The ideal crowdfunding audience has three parts. And if this sounds rehearsed, it's because I talk about this a lot. (laughs) The ideal crowdfunding audience has quantity, you know, as big as it needs to be. You, You heard me do my little math earlier for Corey. Your ideal crowdfunding audience has quantity, but more important than that, it has investment. It's engaged with you. It's invested in your future. It cares about what you're doing and it wants to be part of it. And it is accessible to you. You can email them on the day your project launches and you can keep them engaged through social media throughout the process. And you're telling them about what you're doing every day. So those three 
things, quantity, investment, access, those should be the things that you're working on right now as you are getting ready for your campaign to launch in three months. That's so exciting. Hooray, Vicky. Good luck with that. I have a, I should note that I have a little book about building quantity, investment, and access on my website at lasercampaigns.com. It's just like a free little booklet with strategies for each of those things that I definitely recommend that anybody interested downloads before you try to launch a crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. So I hope you're having a good time <laughs> getting ready. I know it's very stressful, but get out there, provide value to your audience, become more connected to them and, and build that mailing list. Get that really ready because nothing better than a newsletter to let people know that you're launching. You never know what's going to happen with social media between now and then. Folks, we have one more question. Boy, doing a podcast all by myself. This is lonely. Um, but I, I, I'm really happy, honestly, to know what your direct questions are. So thank you so much for sending them in. This question is from Elliot. Hi, I'm Elliot, but you can call me Lee. I stream games on Twitch under the handle Mint, Minty Lee. <laughs> Minty Lee. I love that. I have a very small, loyal core following. How do I grow my audience from 10, half of whom are family, to 100 and beyond while maintaining that small community feeling? Thanks, Lee. Oh, Lee. Oh, what a great question. To be honest, Lee, this, this is a perfect question to be answered by you going and listening to my Amy Dallin episode. Um, I talked to Amy about Twitch and that episode has either already come out or is coming out soon because Amy has done a really good job maintaining a small community feeling as she's grown her audience. But let me just give you a couple of top tips. I think caring about your audience experience is absolutely laudable and should be an absolute priority. It can sometimes come into conflict with the concept of growing your audience because you might think, okay, well, I need to appeal to everyone <laughs> or I need to welcome all of these people in and some of them might be toxic or this thing I have to do to appeal to everyone may not appeal to my individual people. And I think if you can remember to be true to yourself and be true to, you know, the things that you really care about, and hopefully those are the things that your small community really cares about, that caring about your values is more important <laughs> than trying to appeal to everyone. Being yourself is more important than trying to appeal to everyone. And if you can be unique and you can be caring, and you can be zero tolerance on people being rude or toxic or mean to the people who are in your community. If you can just say, absolutely, we don't, we don't allow that here, then you are going to welcome a wonderful, positive community because they know that you're going to take care of them. So put that value number one and never, ever... <laughs> Uh, ne ne never, never compromise on it. And then, and then how do you, how do you grow? Well, I would say collaborate with people who have the same values as you collaborate with people who have audiences of a similar size and, and see what value you can provide to them. You know, are they, they're good at this kind of game. You're good at this kind of game, or, you know, you, you can sing a song, they can draw a picture or find people off of Twitch. The best way to grow an audience on Twitch, I swear, S to G is to go off of Twitch and find communities that exist 
in other places and then get those people to follow you onto Twitch. Because when you're not on Twitch and you talk about your Twitch community, the people who, the Twitchers that you find are going to be so excited. (laughs) So maybe there's a podcast of positive, wonderful people that you can go, you can have their host on your stream as a guest and then you can go and be on their podcast and and it becomes a, a wonderful collaboration. So values first, uniqueness first, appealing to everyone else way at the bottom of the list. I hope that helps, Lee. I love this question so much. I hope you all have gotten something out of this Q&A episode. I would love to answer your questions in my next Q&A episode, so please send them to fanfundedpodcast at gmail.com. And like I said, I have a great newsletter at lasercampaigns.com where I answer all kinds of questions all the time and give advice like this with math and Facebook ads and mindset. And it's a really good newsletter, I promise. Please share this episode with a creative friend. Please share this episode with anybody that made it you think of. And please remember that the things that make you different are what really make you shine. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.